The New Testament reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Good morning. And uh, can I add my welcome to Rob's? It's great to have you with us here this morning at St. Joseph's, whether you're here in person or joining us remotely. My name's Tom Smith. I'm a member of the congregation here. You join us in the middle of a series on prayer, where we take key phrases of that prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples as an example of how to pray. We know that prayer as the Lord's Prayer, although I think it's probably more accurate to describe it as the believer's prayer, a prayer given for instruction for the disciples. It was meant as a pattern for the disciples to show them not just how to pray, but what the true nature of God was, is, and what our relationship with him should be. And although the phrasing and poetry would have been familiar to regular prayers offered within Israel by the Jewish people at that time, the prayer itself was a shocking refocusing of the relationship between God and his people. As we've heard in the video, it starts with those awesome words of intimacy with the creator and sustainer of the universe, who we, as Christians, have the privilege to be able to address as our Father. The section of the Lord's Prayer that I've been asked to focus on is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. I'm certainly going to need God's help to do that. And we'll all need the Holy Spirit to help us understand these eternal truths and to know what difference they should make to our lives. So let me pray. Our Father, Thank you for this example of how to pray. Please help me to speak clearly and accurately and help us all to understand what it means to pray for your kingdom to come. And in understanding, give us the courage, honesty and power to live changed lives as a result. Amen. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, what did he mean? Our previous two sermons on the subject have helped us to understand that a God who can be known as our Father to Christians is also a holy and awesome creator God. The challenge in this bit of the Lord's Prayer seems to me the practical outworking of those concepts. So in praying, thy kingdom come, we're mainly looking ahead to future states when God's people will be in God's place under God's rule. We're praying here that Jesus would come again and bring forward a new heaven and a new earth. 
Now, I, I don't know about you, but I find that a slightly scary prayer on two levels. Firstly, for me, am I ready to be a citizen of heaven? And then secondly, what does it mean for my friends, my family, for those who I know about who haven't yet accepted Jesus? Now, I think that the first is an easier one to answer. If I was relying on myself, what sort of person I am, we would clearly have an issue. I fall so short of God's ideal, there would be literally no help, no hope of being qualified for heaven. The good news that Jesus died for us and that we can rely on his goodness and nature to be right with God and fit for heaven is even more amazing. He gives us his passport, his citizenship, so that if we are Christians, we can look forward with certain hope to being part of God's kingdom, not by any merit or goodness of our own, but entirely by relying on Jesus. The response to this is clearly thankfulness to our amazing God and Saviour. And looking forward to hope of heaven where there will be no masks, no sickness or injustice, where we will be in the permanent presence of our risen Lord and Saviour. How amazing is that going to be? As it says in the Psalms that we read together earlier and then Rosie reminded us of, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. And while I know it's far from a universal experience, when I've been with those in my family, as they approach uncomfortable and painful death, that hope of heaven has been such a comfort and a real witness to the glorious nature of God's kingdom. The second issue does give me pause, however. Those friends and family who know the good news but seem to have not yet responded. How can I pray thy kingdom come when that ushers in an end of time? And that end of time will mean eternal separation from God and his goodness for those who aren't relying on Jesus. So this prayer is not a trite convention but actually a big, scary prayer. I'm somewhat ashamed to say I, alongside many others at school, no doubt, and in this church, have sometimes trotted off by rote without really thinking about it. But if I am to truly pray it and mean it, it has consequences. Those consequences cause me to, first of all, give great thanks as I look forward to heaven as a sure and certain future but also to pray for those who don't yet believe. And of course, I name those known and closest to me in those prayers. And also to do what I can, when I can, to share the good news of that gospel. Let's move on to the next section. God's will and kingdom values are not just for that new heaven and eternity, but also for here and now. In praying that God's will be done on earth, we root ourselves in the here and now. 
we can't be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly use. We're praying here that we, the people we know, people we hear about, governments, rulers, and authorities would obey his will right now in the presence. But how do we know what God's will is? So it might help if I use an illustration from my work. I hesitate slightly, as although I find my job as a civil servant for nearly 28 years now really interesting and stimulating, I'm aware that not everyone shares that perspective. And when I shared that intention, Dorothy's comment was, really? Said in that certain tone perfected over 25 years of marriage. Anyway, here goes. I hope you find it helpful. The work illustration I want to use is when we enter into a general election period, when the government as a whole entered into something that used to be known as PERDA, but is rather more, now known more prosaically as the pre-election period. With so many native Farsi speakers here in the congregation, I hesitate to be definitive in my translation skills, but PERDA is Farsi for curtain and was historically used to describe something hidden or unclear. The idea here is that the future direction of the government is hidden. So as civil servants, we need to be really careful about making any controversial decisions or statements. Day-to-day -day business of government continues, but there's a real sense of uncertainty about the future of our work. To get some idea of what that future direction will look like, we scrutinize party manifestos to check out what might be happening. Now, I suspect many here will not have actually looked at these in any detail, but you'll probably not be surprised to know they're a very mixed bag. An example from the last election was to quote uh, one party manifesto that highlighted that Leeds is the largest city in Europe without a functioning tram or metro travel system. Now, there are full marks for honesty and clarity. Leeds, indeed, does not have an adequate large transport system. But I'm afraid within that manifesto, there was no details as to what difference that fact should make to any future investment plans or how investment should be shaped in that large city. Eventually, however, we do get a new government in place with either a manifesto, a coalition agreement, or even a supply and confidence arrangement, which sets out the broad brush of government's agenda. As time goes on, that's clarified by speeches, publications, and the business of government gets going again, for better, or for worse. It's not all plain sailing, of course, and sometimes speeches confuse rather than bring clarity, but foundations are set in place. Now, as servants of the King of Kings, we have a great advantage over the civil service. Our instructions are clear, and the Bible is far, far better than even the best party manifesto. Even for the hard and confusing bits, of which there are a few, we have lots of support in books, sermons, midweek groups, discussion with our fellow Christians to help us understand. But I've always thought that the real issue with the Bible isn't the things that are difficult, but the things that are clear and obvious. The offensive fact of the gospel that we're saved not by anything we do, but entirely through the grace of God. Or our prime duties as Christians to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it's no accident that this section on prayer that John read for us is part of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. 
This section in prayer is immediately preceded by the Beatitudes, those profound guidelines for living a life in God's will, and is then followed by practical, clear advice on murder, divorce, adultery, revenge, how to deal with people, how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with people who hate us, how to look after the needy. Now, these are certainly challenging to live by and difficult to do, but surely not too complex for us to understand. And if we want to see God's will done on earth, there is a huge amount that needs to change. The challenge of how we love our neighbors is so apparent in a world of increasing violence and inequality where the lives of the poor and vulnerable can seem insufferable as the ravages of illness and disease and war are so apparent here and across the world. Praying for God's will to be done here surely drives us to action. And whether that's through serving in an existing or new capacity here at St. Joseph's, by supporting one of our mission partners, or seeking God's kingdom values across society, as we heard from Rosie earlier, is one example. Now, of course, the Bible doesn't give us clear guidance on every aspect of our lives. Maybe to return to my work illustration, no party manifesto would ever explicitly say, we're going to divert some high-voltage cables in Sunderland to enable the development of a four million square foot factory battery manufacture plant. Instead, in that example, I had to use my judgment, establish guidance in place for making spending decisions, wisdom of a couple of professional analysts to come to view, and then persuade others to my perspective. Of course, with a couple of sleepless nights thrown in. I hope it's not too sacrilegious to make the same point for God's will being done on earth as in heaven. We do have the overall guidance in the Bible, but this is helped by the wisdom of the church family and the chance to test our thinking and understanding with other Christians, all supercharged by the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us understand what God's will is and what his word says to us. In fact, I sometimes find it's those areas where we have the greatest challenge in praying, thy will be done. When we're faced with the illness of a child, the death of a family member, the continued unbelief of those you've prayed for for years, the loss or lack of relationship, too little or too much work of uncertain or unclear exam results. I'm afraid I can't offer an easy solution. Indeed, I often turn for comfort to the book of Job, perhaps not the most cheeriest tale in the Bible, but at its heart has a clear acknowledgement that God does care for us, is in charge, and has a good plan for all those who love him. So the words of Job chapter 1 verse 21 say, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <coughs> so I think that this part of the Lord's Prayer is a real challenge. The need to align our thoughts, our prayers, and our actions with God's kingdom values can be a struggle at times. Our sin and rebellious nature can reel against his kingdom values. It's also a prayer of great hope. 
of a sure and certain future when we can worship fully and live in his kingdom. So to pray thy kingdom come surely drives us to evangelism for a lost world, to redouble our prayers for our friends, our families and neighbours, to seek opportunities to tell others about the great news of God's rescue plan for the world. I love that summary in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And of course, to pray thy will be done drives us to deepen our understanding of God's will, both for the world, but also for us and how we live our lives and provides the comfort that God really is in control, despite the sometimes desperate situations or challenging circumstances we find ourselves in. And in understanding that will and hope of heaven to take exact action as a result, I take note of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, quote in his book, The Joyful Christian, where he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. It also, I think, drives us to be specific in our prayers, to read up and pay attention to situations that Christians find difficult in this country and across the world. To find out and pray for Christians you know here and uh, across the, the country that you know are having a hard time. And in praying that Jesus would come again, we should redouble our efforts to pray and act for those who don't yet know Jesus well. So as we look to the week ahead, we do need to work out what steps we will have to take if we can pray this prayer with sincerity. sincerity. To use the time after the service, or maybe at this Wednesday's summer special meeting, to think and plan about how that could be done. Above all, to pray. I'll close now in prayer before we have our final song together. Dear God, we pray for your kingdom to come. We pray that you would bring more people into your kingdom, and we pray that your kingdom values would be established in the here and now. We ask for your guidance in knowing your will and in living purposeful lives to make your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.